And so when it comes to range, it's, it's a fascinating thing because it showed me that I could sing higher. It was possible for me. I could speak lower. That was also possible for me. And so now growing up, I realized, oh, the reason I couldn't sing higher is because I'd never developed the next coordination up, which was this one. This was my next coordination. And I just thought, well, that's worthless. I can never use that. That sounds ridiculous, right? But what eventually what I started to learn is that through exercises and everything like that, I could strengthen this. And now I could talk to people and say, hey, everybody, how are you doing? And that didn't hurt. It was easy to do. And so it was just a huge game changer. Welcome to Captivate the Room with your host, internationally known voice expert, Tracy Goodwin, an award-winning speaker who has taught hundreds around the globe to make a big impact with their voice. This podcast is for anyone who wants to step onto a bigger stage, make a bigger impact, and have a voice that makes people listen. Presentation matters, and the voice is the missing link. Join in and you'll see why. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you with me today, as always. And I've got a great episode for you today. You are really in for a treat today. I loved this conversation with Michael Maresca. He is actually a former neighbor of mine. And it was shocking, stunning to me when I met him and his wife all the similarities, crossover, connections in our work. And you've probably heard me talk about singing teachers and things I disagree with the way they talk. I know, you know, I talk about methodologies that I am not a super fan of. Well, Michael is no different than me in how I knew there was something else. I knew there was something more. And it was one clear thing that became the catalyst for the creation of psychology of the voice. And I thought, everybody's going to think I'm crazy. Literally, Michael's story is very similar in how he created one voice, which is what we're going to talk about today. He had that moment. He had that moment that made him dive into some research and say, hold on a minute, this isn't working. This isn't making sense. And now he teaches teachers all over the world how to do this methodology. It is such a great conversation. I will definitely have to have more conversations with him about this. I've not, we've not really talked about our work that much. We were, we were always talking about dogs and, you know, just things about being neighbors. But today we really got to dive in and the similarities are stunning. So I know you're going to love this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about him. From a struggling singer to a voice guru who's taught more than 25,000 singers worldwide to speaking on the red dot, Michael has seen and heard it all. He's changed how we fundamentally understand the human voice, broken century-old barriers regarding voice, range, and type, and field-tested, never-before-seen tools and theories that are producing rapid, measurable results in singers. Today, Michael helps aspiring and established voice teachers across the globe, making him the vocal coach for vocal coaches. Get ready. You are in for a treat. Let's head over to the show. Michael, welcome to the show. So glad to have you with me today. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Tracy. I'm really, really pumped up about this conversation. And I have to say, I have never in nine years of doing the show had a singing teacher on the show. You're the first. <laughs> I'm both honored and terrified. It's, it's all. <laughs> I was going to say, no pressure. <laughs> no, no pressure. I, no, you're too cool. You're too I, cool. I have to tell this quick little story before we dive in. And I, there's so many questions that I have. And I, I don't know that much about your work. I really don't. I had to do, 
I didn't have to. I did some research on you, but this is the coolest story ever. And I actually used this story with one of my corporations the other day when I had a young man who said, I don't want to talk to people I don't know. I don't want to talk to people in this company that I don't know. What is what what is the reason why I would do that? I want to go. I want to work with my clients. I want to sell. And I said, well, you know, I thought the same thing. Why do I need to do anything but sit in front of this computer and work with clients and get new clients? And then I got this dog named Birdie and I had to walk this dog named Birdie. And one day I was out with this dog and here comes this couple and I had never met them and they had their dog. And of course, you know, Birdie's losing her mind and literally it's mind bending how much overlap there is. I met Michael and his beautiful wife and it was, oh, you teach voice, we teach singing. It was, and then we know all these same people. And then it was this incredible conversation that wasn't about what do you got for me, but this relationship of connection and then the possibility is endless. So I tell this story one, because I just think it's so cool that was out living out in the middle of nowhere. And I meet these amazing people that I that we have so much in common. But I tell you listeners this story because I know who you are. And I know you might be like the young man in the corporate setting. I just want to do my thing. I just want to stay in front of the computer where it's safe. And I know people and I don't want to reach out and go do anything. So, okay, Michael, tell us a little, I always start with, tell us who you are. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yes. Um, I, gosh, uh, the, the story uh, of stories. Um, I, I really started off as a, as a vocal coach teaching when I was 18. When I say vocal coach, um, for the listeners who don't know this, a vocal coach is obviously an incredibly uh, vague term that encompasses like a thousand different types of people. It's like saying doctor, right? And so when someone says, I'm a vocal coach, it's really like saying doctor because um, what kind of doctor? There's a billion kinds. And unfortunately, in the world of voice and singing, um, people don't know the differences. And also sometimes, many times, I would say that the trainers themselves don't know the differences, which is unfortunate. So they think they are all and do all, but they don't. Um, and so specifically, I'll be talking from a singing standpoint today um, and kind of how I got to where I am now. Um, yeah, I started teaching when I was 18. I was a very frustrated young singer. And this is always how it goes for uh, singing teachers. The singing teachers will always be singers first, and then they become vocal coaches later on at some point because they want to pass on their knowledge or they want to make some money or whatever it is. And I was in this space where I would lose my voice. I would sing for 20 to 40 minutes, absolutely lose my voice. Not like sort of lose my voice, but absolutely gone. And so I'm sure I had nodules. I'm sure I had, you know, that my nodules had nodules. You know, I'm sure just all kinds of horrible things that were going on um, for me, pathologically, pathologic, uh, yeah, pathology for me, which is just horrible vocally. And so I wanted to start teaching. I wanted to start teaching people how to do what I couldn't do. And fast forward five extremely frustrating years of my life, actually more than that. Um, that was eight years of my life, just extremely frustrating uh, going through trying to not only achieve the things I wanted to, specifically for me, it was about singing high. And that was the thing that drove so much of what I did, because I believe that, you know, if I can sing high, well, then I'm the king of the world. I can do anything because, of course, all of the musicals, all of the cool uh, singers that I listen to, they all sang high. They sang the high notes. The hero's going to sing a high note. The hero's not going to go, I will fly. They're not going to do that. It's, I will fly, right? And that's what's going to happen. But I couldn't do it. And, you know, what people told me is they told me, well, you know, Michael, you just, you have to sing within your range. You know, you're, this is what God gave you, Michael. You're a baritone, you know, sing the repertoire that's for you. And I don't know why I make voice teachers of my past old wizards, but I, I like to. So <laughs> they're always old wizards. Um and uh, so I, I went through this uh, very frustrating time where I saw, I, I was told that I was a baritone, that I couldn't do it, that I should give up. But I just kept believing that there had to be a way that if someone else could do it who was taller than me, 
who was larger in stature than me. Now, how come they could sing higher and I couldn't? How come there were smaller people than me who could sing lower than I could? And it was just so many conflicting ideas and confusing things that I was told uh, growing up that were very frustrating for me. And so, like I said, fast forward, I get to this place where I'm now teaching um, and I'm running into all these excuses all the time because people are asking me as a teacher the same questions that I was asking my teachers. How come, how come she can sing high? How come he can't do that? How come my voice does this? How come this can't do this? Why do I do this? How come some people have bigger ranges than others? Yada, yada, yada. And of course, what I would do is that then I would regurgitate the same excuses that I was given, which was things like, well, you know, uh, Oh, we're all unique. Uh, we're all different. You know, we can all, um, you know, some people are baritones, some people are tenors, some people are da da da. And, uh, this just didn't sit with me and it was very frustrating. And so I was just a frustrated teacher and that was the end as so it seemed. And one day I was sitting in my studio. I was training a female client and I was, I was on this, like, I was on this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this trend of helping people relax. That was the goal, getting people to relax so that their quote, true voices could come through. Right. And, um, and so as I did that, I started hearing some really interesting things that I had never heard before. I'd never been taught. And so I thought, well, this is weird. I started to notice this pattern in the human voice, um, specifically with these, these females. My first female was actually a soprano and I had, um, uh, I had her go through and sing uh, a scale and her voice actually cracked or, or broke much earlier. So for those of you who don't know what a crack is, it sounds like this. And so they cracked. And I thought, well, that's weird. She's a soprano. Sopranos are, are supposed to have, quote, higher voices. Therefore, their break should be much higher. So I thought, well, that's bizarre. Well, no problem. I'm not going to think about it. Just a weird day. And I move on. I move on to my next client. I have another female client. I'm still on this trend of getting people to relax. This client is considered an alto, right? So she comes in, she should, she should break lower and, and she should have a lower voice. Well, I get her to relax and her voice cracks at the same note as the sopranos. And I thought, what is happening right now? What is going on right now? I don't understand. And I kept testing this and I started to, to, to see this pattern in the voice uh, that completely flipped everything I knew about singing on its head. And as that changed for me, almost overnight, Tracy, I went from being a vocal coach who was frustrated, who was angry, who felt like he was failing his students, who felt like he was failing himself, um, who couldn't sing the way he wanted to sing. Almost overnight, I then became like this vocal Jedi. I, I could see things in voices that no one else could see around me. They would put me behind audition tables and I could tell people, I'd say, great. So if you have her sing that again, uh, her voice is going to crack here. She's only going to be able to sing it this long and she's not going to be able to sustain the show. And they're looking at me like I'm some psycho. And I say, well, go ahead and test it. Try it. It was all because of this huge perspective shift on how the voice functioned at a fundamental level. And that pattern quite literally was the catalyst for what was to come for me, which then snowballed into this thing that we now call one voice. It's this entire ecosystem that I built uh, around how the human voice functions and then how to train it. Uh, specifically, I'm more focused on singers at the moment. Uh, but it has, it has been uh, an incredible journey and ride. And now I'm training coaches to do exactly what I do all over the world. I've now had 11 years in one of the top musical theater programs as the head of voice. Um, which is incredible. And so I don't just have information that I think is cool. I have proof in the pudding. And so now I have 11 years of folks who have gone through, they're on Broadway, they're cutting their recording albums. There are all these fancy things, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's been a huge game changer, not just for myself, but for my clients. And then even further, it's been a game changer. Now my big focus has been training coaches and now I have coaches uh, internationally all over the world who are seeing the same things. And so they're now able to count on results. They're able to look at a singer and say, I know what's going on. There it is. Boop, 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 boop. All because all of this is possible and, and taking people out of a world of being coaches who are frustrated because they can't see it, because they can't communicate, because they can't understand what's in front of them. All that's possible and change now because of that little shift. 
that little paradigm shift for me that suddenly shifted how I saw everything. And the terrifying thing was, as I'm sure I've, I've listened to one of your recent podcasts and you talking about how, you know, you saw these great people teaching these great things and you thought, wait a minute, something's not working here, right? And for me, the same thing was true. I, I had this, this moment where I was looking right in front of me and saying, okay, here is this pattern that I'm noticing, but that goes against everything I know. That goes against everything I've read in every book, everything I've seen in a master class, everything I've ever been taught, everything I learned in voice lessons. So I must be, I'm, I must be insane. I must be insane. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't then for another four years um, that I, it took another four years for me to have a moment where I realized, wait a minute, no one knows what I'm talking about. No one has any clue. And I just thought I just finally got it. I just thought, well, you finally get it. Yeah, everyone already knows this. The more I shared it with other voice teachers uh, who were in singing, the more I realized that uh, I was alone. Mm -hmm. And that was both exciting, uh, but also it was something that felt uh, I felt very lonely. And I, I spent the next probably it's been 13 years since I found that discovery. That was really cool. It was back in 2010. And it took it took another eight years or so for me to finally get to the space in my own life where I could no longer be afraid of sharing what I knew was going to help people for fear of stepping on other people's toes, for fear mm -hmm. of someone doing something. And I, I think this comes back to the story that you talked about earlier for me, which was, you know, I was afraid to share this because it was, it was contrarian. I, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't trying to be contrarian, but by its nature, it goes against all these things I knew. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid of, uh, of, of what I call raw communication. I was afraid, uh, that someone would freak out. I was afraid mm -hmm. that someone would call me a, a psycho and we'd get in a fight. And so I kind of distanced myself from the singing industry for a long time. I was still teaching all the time, mm -hmm. the entire time. But I, I, I didn't get engaged. I didn't go to conferences. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to these things. Mm -hmm. And it was only a couple of years ago that I realized, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. uh, this is a huge disservice, not just to me. This is a huge disservice to all the people that I could be helping, all the people that I could be having conversations with. Um, and that's the beauty about uh, communication is when it's yeah. raw, is when you don't know what's going to happen on the other side. And uh, so I, I think I'm getting off topic, but. Well, it's stunning to me the the similarities between your story and my story. I the, the the listeners have heard me talk about it ad nauseum. I was up there teaching technique, articulate. Come on, Bob, articulate. And I was literally losing my mind because the the one thing for me was I could tell people how they were being processed in the subconscious of the listener. So it's this one thing, but then it was like, people are going to think I'm out of my mind. They yeah, will yeah. think I am completely crazy. And so I did it for so Because long. obviously that has nothing to do with the voice. Obviously right. your past has nothing right. to do. Right. <laughs> yes. right. But I get yeah, wow. what you're saying on such a deep level that I wouldn't do it. And I literally quit teaching and started refinishing furniture. And while wow. you had that moment of what are you doing? I literally had God scream in my ear and go, what are you doing? I didn't, you know, I didn't put you there to finish furniture. And then it was on and it was exciting and thrilling. And, and it, it's just been this years and years and years of research that is still so cutting edge. We just keep doing the same thing Far too many people keep doing the same thing and not getting a result, but we just, is it, we do it because it's what we know? Is it, we do it because that's what we've always done? I mean, I have a million questions to ask, but I mean, I know you're making headway with teaching teachers and doing it different and that's exciting. I don't see as much of that in the speaker space, in my space, it's still this, we've got to warm up. We've got to, and, and, and I know it's a little different. Y'all warming up, we warming up. You got to be ready to go. Why are we not permanently changing voices? Yeah. Why are we keep, why do we keep slapping a bandaid on? And I don't know, maybe now I'm getting off track, but. No, I, I think, I think one of the things that sticks out to me about that is I think 
it's interesting to hear you say that about the voice and speech world because in the in the singing world um and you know for your listeners you might think that when you say the voice it just encompasses everything but there's mm-hmm. There's subsets of that. It's, 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 it's very akin to, um, you know, being a jazz musician versus being an mm-hmm. opera singer. Yes, mm-hmm. they both make music, but they're completely uh, mm-hmm. separate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's interesting is I, I find that in the singing world, um, training in singing is very, I, I tell my coaches this all the time, it's, it's very religious, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning people will hold on to uh, an idea. If someone says something to them, their teacher says something to them, they hold on to it. And I think the reason is it's not because we want to hold on to it. It's because it's all we know. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing that has made quote sense to us maybe uh, thus far. And if someone challenges that knowledge, that means that everything that we based our understanding on now becomes null and void. And that's a huge problem because it makes it makes me now have to question everything. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most exciting things about, about one voice when I, uh, when I was teaching at the university, and I was teaching uh, a, a freshman class. I would love this class. It was so fun. Um, they would come in and of course they've all been training in whatever they've been training, which is contemporary, um, voice singing pedagogy or traditional. And so they come from all these different backgrounds. They've had incredible training. Some of them have had no training. It's just all of the board. And generally what I would have is when they'd walk in, I'd have, you know, a, a several of them who'd walk and have their arms crossed, you know, and they're starting the, the class. And then as week one goes by, they're leaning forward, but their arms are still crossed in front of week two, their arms are down, their hands are on their knees, they're leaning in, right? Week four, they're taking notes, you know, they can't stop taking notes because what started to happen is they started to suddenly realize, and this is, this is the thing I, I think could help us change is when we can start to see that what we know, um, and we have to be honest, I think, with ourselves as well, mm-hmm. that if we can recognize or call out that what we know or that what we're currently doing isn't working. And I think that's the honesty part that's really scary is to say as a teacher, right? As a teacher, as a business owner, as someone who's running the marketing for your business, for your company, for you to say, hey, what I have been doing isn't working. That's terrifying. And I think in most cases, we're we're shamed for that. We're told definitely don't do that. You don't want to show any weakness. You don't want to. Mm-hmm. But I think that whole idea, and hopefully that's starting to crumble in our world, but I, I, I don't think it will. I think it'll stick around for a very long time. But I think that's I think that's a big part of it. And I think people get afraid of that moment of being wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I, I train in my coaching all the time is I say, look, you don't need to be you. You are an expert, but you don't know everything and no one does. And that's OK, mm-hmm. because if you don't know something, you say, you know, I don't know what that is. Well, let me see if I can find out, though, or let me reach out to someone else and see what I can learn from that. Right. And then I'll come back. And we'll talk about it instead of doing what I think most people do being afraid now they're acting out of fear and now i'm just going to tell you some bs about yeah. whatever i am making up in this moment that i don't think is actually true yeah so I, that, that's what i think in terms of thinking i think that's why yeah that's interesting and i think what you're talking about now is what i call the needing to prove mask and i will tell people oh, my people pleaser mask people i will say you know the one that's knows everything in there he's more afraid than you Ugh. It's just so a different, it's just a different poison. I mean, it's just a pick your poison. And some people are choosing that and some people are choosing to literally shrink away. So, okay. I want to talk more about, now, I don't know, you, you don't give all your secrets away today, but I would like to know <laughs> what, what, why were their voices always cracking at that spot and, and then I want to talk about range a little bit, because the hardest thing I deal with, with yeah. business executives on a, on a, you know, a client call, there <laughs> it is, you know, and there are, and I can, we could probably spend the rest of the episode with me talking about the subconscious problem with going into that range. And then you mm-hmm. talking about your take on it, but tell us about this. I'm fascinated. Yeah. So yeah, the monotone voice. Mm-hmm. Hi, my name is Bob. I don't know why we keep choosing Bob. Bob, Bob seems like a <laughs> solid uh, you know, business guy. Um, uh, Bob and Sandra. So yeah, this pattern, uh, absolutely amazing. So what I, what I discovered was that the human voice, okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about females first. What I noticed was I noticed that every female, regardless of uh, post pubescent female or post teenager female, um, 
would crack at the same note, regardless of height, color, nationality. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if they were, quote, altos, low altos, high sopranos, color trip. It didn't matter. And this is the thing I started testing. So I would go into workshop. People call me, uh, people call me to, to come and teach and teach at a conference or teach or whatever. So I'd go and I'd teach. And this is right when I was just discovering this stuff. And so I thought to myself, God, I am, I must, I must be psycho right now. I don't know what I'm doing and why I'm doing this, but you know what? I'm so curious that I have to test this because it's, it's starting to really make sense to me. Suddenly I'm, I'm starting to put the pieces together. Things are making sense, which they never did before. Uh, and everyone just pretended that they did. And so uh, I, I start testing this in my workshops and my conferences. I would get, I would get all, I would say, all right, everyone, all females in here, I'm going to take you through a scale. And I would have them relax. And as I took them through the scale, magically, I don't know any of these people. I've never worked with any of these people, right? And so magically, as I'm taking them through the scale, all their voices start cracking around the same note. Nuts. Absolutely yeah. nuts. And even furthermore, then folks who had a larger range, um, if you put them with other folks who had a larger range, their voices would also then crack again at the same note every octave. And so when I started saying that, my mind was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. This is nuts. I do not understand what's happening. And so this is where the, uh, the coordinations theory was born. And the coordinations theory um, is the concept that we coordinate the muscles in our larynx in specific ways to access specific ranges of notes. Uh, and so it's very similar. You'll see kind of the coordination theory all over the body. So it's like taking your shoulder. If, if, if you're, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if you're at home, you're in the car, don't do this. But, uh, uh if you're in the car, don't do this. If you're at home, try this. Uh, you know, you put your arm in front of you, palm out as if, uh, um, you know, you have your palm facing to your left, your right arm out. And you try and take your arm as far back as you can go and try and get it all the way back to the center of your body without turning, uh, without, without, uh, changing the where your palm is, right? And what you'll find is you, you hit this limit. And so what you can do is if you want your arm to go all the way behind you, you can grab it with your other arm, you can swing your arm, but what will happen is you'll end up damaging the tissue in your shoulder. Or what you can do is you can actually take your arm, keep it extended, and then turn it upside down. Now it can keep moving all the way behind your back. And this is the concept of range um, that has a whole new look because of the coordination theory, is that you're at the end of a coordination. And so some people get stuck uh, in a coordination and they don't know how to move into the next coordination. And so uh, this is the concept ultimately of where one voice came from is I, I, I developed the idea that if you could build all these different coordinations equally, then you would have, quote, one voice, uh, meaning you could slide from from a low note all the way to high note and you'd never hear a crack. But as uh, as I started going on, the, the cool thing was is then I found the same thing in males. So females all cracked at the same note, which was an F. Uh, males all cracked at the same note as well, which was an A, which is absolutely incredible, incredible. Um, and so post-pubescent, right? And so they would all crack at the same note. If you, depending on uh, the sex you were assigned at birth, that's where your notes would go, which is absolutely incredible. And this is not, I'm not speaking to be clear uh, for anyone who might be curious about this. I'm not speaking to gender. I'm specifically speaking to uh, the sex assigned at birth. Yeah. Uh, gender is a separate social construct. Mm -hmm. We're not going to talk about it. But uh, that's, that is such a fascinating, it, that one thing blew my mind and suddenly took the world of singing and turned it on its head. Because the reason we're cracking, um, the reason we're cracking is kind of like um, an example I give people is if they were to write on a piece of paper just the way they normally would, right? And then I say, I do this in, in, in master classes. I say, first, write your name. And they just write their name. And then I say, write it again. But this time, I want you to hold your pen as if you're stabbing someone with the, with the point being uh, under your pinky, you know, below. And so now I want you to write your name. And then everyone starts laughing. You know. And I say, okay, great. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, without having a break in your name, all of a sudden draw a circle. I'll say, without having a break in the circle. What I want you to do now is I want you to start in your default mode of writing and I want you to switch over to stab mode halfway through your drawing or halfway through your name or halfway through your circle without causing a break or a lump in the movement. So they do and as they start to do it, everyone starts laughing like, ha, ah, because of course they end up with this blob or this weird circle or their name is a garbage pit, you know, suddenly because they've had to start in a default mode and then switch their fingers in their hand to another way of writing. Now, the beautiful thing is 
is that they're not changing hands. It's the same hand. They're just coordinating the same muscles in their hand in a different way. Yeah. And so the, the larynx is, is something I believe is no different in that what we're doing in the larynx, and this is something we haven't found in the science yet. We keep looking after a different lens that, that, that is already dead ended and we dead ended on mm-hmm. that lens back in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's now looking at it this way. What you start to realize is that the muscles in the larynx, much like many other muscle groups in the body can re-coordinate in a different way. And because of that, they can give us access to a different range. Well, that's also the reason that this happens. Uh, I have that crack in my voice because what I'm doing is I'm shifting from one coordination into the next coordination. I'm going from normal writing mode into stab mode, as it were. And so I'm using the same muscles. I'm just using them differently. Mm-hmm. And if I can learn how to strengthen both coordinations, then I can end up having, uh, I have no crack at all. And that's really amazing. This is true not only uh, for going high, but it's also true for going low. So one of the things I'll, I'll add on to this, because this is so fun. Uh, obviously, I'm not excited about this. I don't care about any of this at all. But I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> woo! Um, I get so excited about it. I still get excited about it because yeah. the discovery is just mm-hmm. still so fresh. I, 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 I remember writing this down on for a marketing thing and it was, you know, I'd, I'd gone through and I'd tile it up all the people that I'd taught at conferences and private sessions, classes, master classes. And it was ranging up almost over 25,000 people. I thought, wow, that's so cool. So cool. You're so cool. And then I realized that 25,000 people is nothing. It's actually smaller than one of the smallest towns in Texas. It has a population of just around 25,000. I think it's like Al- Aldo, Aldo, Texas, which is in, literally in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, oh, I haven't even started, right? I haven't even begun uh, to change the world of singing in the way that I want to, impact it the way I want to. But um, anyway, so range. Uh, in terms of range, what people think is they think, well, you know, I have a low voice because that's how I was born. I have a high voice because that's how I was born. Well, through this theory, this theory kind of throws all of that off the window, which is, again, really exciting and also terrifying when it comes to the world of singing. Because what it tells us is this theory, the coordination theory tells us that if we want to sing higher, we can. We just have to know how to access the neck coordination and to build it. You want to sing lower? You want to speak lower? You just have to know how to access that coordination and build it. So for me, thinking about that, I was a kid who lost his voice all the time. 20 to 40 minutes. That was all I got. And when I would sing, I, of course, wanted to sing high. Well, one of the things you can do is you can force a coordination up, right? It's much like taking your arm and trying to bend it behind you without bending or without bending your your elbow. Uh, You're going to damage the joint. Well, I did that all the time. And so I force a coordination in my larynx. I force it up all the time. But I was also, not only was I a choir kid, I was also a uh, sports kid. So, of course, I wanted to sing high, but then on the field, I wanted to speak low. It was a good, good game, good game, good game, good game. I do that all the time because I, I needed to be lower, because I needed to present as strong, as man, right? Whatever that, right? Uh, and those are some things that I learned in my early days. I grew up in a very, very masculine society where I was, um, macho, that's the right word. Um, and so, uh, so I was constantly pushing a coordinate, same coordination. I never left this coordination. I was taking one coordination. I was forcing it up. I was taking the other one. I was taking the same one and forcing it down. And so it was like, I was always damaging that, that coordination. And so I would lose my voice all the time. The other reason people told me I'd lose my voice, they'd say, well, you know, you're you're using voice too much or, you know, you're not using voice enough or you're not supporting or you're not relaxing or you're not or, 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 or. And I did all the things. I did Mm -hmm. all the things. I was the kid who, if you told me to practice for 30 minutes, I would practice for an hour and a half, right? Like I was, you tell me to eat my Wheaties, I was going to eat 12 bags of Wheaties because I wanted to extra do it, right? Mm -hmm. Which was both great and not great when you think about it from a learning standpoint. But I, I wanted to do, I wanted to get it so bad. I so badly mm-hmm. wanted to do that. Uh, and so when it comes to range, it's, it's a fascinating thing because it showed me that I could sing higher. It was possible for me. I could speak lower. That was also possible for me. And so now growing up, I realized, oh, the reason I couldn't sing higher is because I'd never developed the next coordination up, which mm-hmm. was this one. This mm-hmm. was my next coordination. And I just thought, well, that's worthless. I can never use that. That mm-hmm. sounds ridiculous, right? 
But what eventually what I started to learn is that through exercises and everything like that, I could strengthen this. And now I could talk to people and say, hey, everybody, how are you doing? And that didn't hurt. It was easy to do. And so it was just a huge game changer. I could go on and on and on. But does yeah. that, did that answer your question? I don't even know if I yeah, answered that. Yeah, it, it did. And yeah. what's what's so interesting about it, and, you know, if this was your show, I would be apologizing for geeking out about psychology of the voice because, <laughs> you know, 30 years later, I'm still obsessed with it. And yeah. I will put money down. Psychology of the voice plays into what you're talking about. 100%. 100% My study 100%. was... Well, my study was focused on why do men fight me on pitch play so much? My women don't fight me. They fight me yeah. on different things. Why are they? I mean, it was just impossible. And what the data showed me after that study was they were still carrying seventh grade voice cracked little girl laughed or their buddies made fun of them and their subconscious went, don't worry, we're never letting that happen again. Yeah, we'll lock that off for you. Yeah, we? we'll lock that off forever. And so hearing you talk about I mean, the number of men that have come to work with me that have forced their voice down to a yeah. dangerous level and yeah. the number of women that have come to me and they're stuck up here because when they went yeah. to work for Joe's Pizza, he said, you got to be nice. <laughs> and then and I literally think that hurts people in the workplace so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge because it takes away a piece of your communication, right? I can't fully express because I only have one paintbrush. Right. So if right. you only have one paintbrush, how are you going to color all the colors you want to color? And then you wonder why, you know, from from hearing some of your work, it's so cool is, you know, then you're looking at your own life. and You're saying, well, how come how come no one thinks I'm funny? How come no one thinks it's because, you know, when you're talking, yeah. you know, you're there and you're like, hi, how are you? Good morning. <laughs> Great to see you. And you know, it's like, yeah, geez, relax totally. a little, buddy. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's that, you know, the study on heavy versus light. We give you no, I give you no space to lean in vocally, or I give you some space to lean in vocally. I mean, but yeah, no, that, that's really, really good. But I want to, I want to shift here for a minute. I may circle back to this, but I may, I want to shift for a minute into you've, you've said this word a number of times, and I'm pretty sure I'm clear on where you stand with this. Not that you're against it but it is not the viable technique to get the result, which is just relax. It's, it's kind of like in psychology of the voice, just practice more. Well, why are you practicing the bad thing and locking it in more into the muscle memory? 100%. So talk to us. I mean, not that that doesn't, well, I don't know. I mean, you're the expert on this. Talk to us about yeah. relax. Yeah. Relax is a, is a, is a great term. And I think, I think in most cases, when a teacher is giving a, a student uh, the note to relax more, it's because they recognize some form of tension that they they perceive as unnecessary, right? Unfortunately, there's lots of teachers who believe that singing can be effortless, that speaking uh, effectively would be effortless, right? And it's a beautiful idea, but nothing we do in the body is actually effortless because it requires effort to accomplish the specific task we're trying to do. You want to lift a chair? It takes effort, right? You want to stand? It takes effort. You cannot relax fully. I do this. I do an example in master classes. I'll stand up and I, I, I coax people through this and I say, great. So, um, I say, so the important thing in singing good is, is we have to relax. And everyone's like, yes. I say, yes, because tension's bad, right? And everyone goes, yeah, of course. Yes. And so I say, okay. So everyone, I just need your help. I'm, I'm going to stand here and just help me fully relax. Okay. So I stand in the I stand in the middle of the thing and everyone's like, okay, relax your shoulders, you know, relax your, <laughs> your legs, right? I'm like, okay, okay. How about now? How about now? They're like, mm, yeah, yeah, you're fully relaxed. And then there's always that one person who is like, mm, but you're not, you're still standing, you know? And th that person got it. They realized, oh, you cannot be relaxed standing because it requires muscles to stand. Now, the key is, of course, is having what I call necessary tension and unnecessary tensions, right? And so... Uh, this is where I think we kind of get lost. There's, there are the necessaries, but there are also a lot of unnecessaries. The thing that I think stops a lot of people from progress, uh, with their voices is that because most of the world of singing is stuck on sound, they're stuck on the idea that, well, it doesn't sound pretty. So because it doesn't sound pretty, that means it's bad, right? Well, that, that sounding 
sounding pleasant to the commercial ear, our consumer's ear is very different than making a healthy sound. Those are two completely different things. One is a preference and one is an actual function. But when we talk about um, someone being able to grow in their voice and make change, um, what happens is that in order to get there, sometimes they have to make some sounds that aren't great. Uh, they have to learn how to use the muscles internally. And when they do that, they will use unnecessary tension. And so if I see that unnecessary tension and I say, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Then what I'm actually doing is I'm halting the learning process. Because one of the things I started learning after I had this huge shift was I started to look at the bodies and I started to watch and listen. And I said, all right, here's the here's the sound we're going for, Cassandra. This is what we want, okay? Cassandra starts working on it. As Cassandra starts to make the sound, right, Cassandra's right shoulder is coming up and Cassandra's leaning forward and crunching their face really weirdly, right? Like that's all happening. In my old world of teaching and of singing, my teacher would have said, no, 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 stop. Oh, no, no, don't do that. No, that's not good. And so what happens is all of that stuff is part of the learning process because my brain can't just pinpoint an immediate uh, one muscle right off the bat. My brain kind of sends a message to my throat. And for those of you who don't know about this, you're as a, as a female, uh, if you were assigned female at birth, your, your vocal cords are the size of a dime. All the sound, all the yelling, all the screaming, all the lung, all that comes from something the size of a dime. For a male, it's the size of a nickel. That's it. It's tiny. And if you lay your hand across your throat and you swallow, you feel a little bump. That bump is what we call your, your, uh, your larynx. Yeah. Or the voice box or Eve's peanut or Adam's apple. You've heard all these terms before. Um, and so that little bump back there is what makes all of the sound when it's tiny. And so when your brain says, I'm trying to achieve this new vocal thing, I want to achieve this change in sound. The brain sends all this. You can think of it like electricity all over that area, all around the throat, right? And so when it does that, it, it sometimes will hit your pectoral, it'll hit your nose, your lip. And so you're just saying effort, I will give effort to this area, right? And what you start to do is through the learning process, your brain is incredibly inefficient at first, right? But if it achieves the goal, it wins. And this is part of the learning process that we, I think we don't allow ourselves to experience is we don't allow ourselves to experience the messy part of that process. And so when you first go to that beginning part of the process, you execute. And if you accomplish the goal, I'll give you an example. Let's say, let's say that I, uh, that I speak like this normally and I want to have a sound like this. So as I, as I change, my voice teacher might say, you know, I might tell a client and say, okay, what you're going to try and do is you're going to, we're going to use this funny voice. It's called robot voice. And you're going to try and make your voice sound like this. And when they do that, they end up, you know, pinching their left eye and they lift their left shoulder, you know. And if I stop them right there, right now their brain is connecting all of that musculature together to make that one sound, right? Super inefficient because your left eye has nothing to do with the mm -hmm. bump in your throat and neither does your left shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. But I have to allow that. And then I say, as we move forward, I say, well done. Hey, this time I want you to keep making that sound but check in with your left shoulder. And they're like, oh, my left shoulder. I am a robot. I can do it, right? And I say, great. Now can you take a look in the mirror? Look at your left eye. Oh, now I... And they start to let go of their left eye. They start to let go. And what we're getting is we're getting isolation, right? Mm -hmm. We're starting to remove the unnecessary tensions and getting down to the necessary tensions. But oftentimes, people cut people down at the knees because they're stopping them from experiencing the whole learning process because they see unnecessary tensions. And they say, oh, it's all bad, but it's not all bad. This is just mm -hmm. part of the part of the training. It's like going to the gym and sweating. If you wanna, if you wanna have the the body that you want or the the strength that you want, right? It's gonna take sweat. You know, don't be surprised when you get sweaty and you get sore. You know, as you were telling that story, it was reminding me of when I taught for Mike Nichols School in New York and School for Film and Television, and I recently right. coached somebody that had been at one of those schools, not when I was there, so she came way after. And we were talking about how it was so terrifying. Mm. I remember colleagues that I worked with that, I mean, they were terrifying to the students. 
And so I'm, as you're talking about this tension and moving this tension out and this, uh, it made me think about them screaming, relax, I gotta, you know, (laughs) and it's, and it, and in my mind, I'm thinking, of course, I'm thinking from my entrepreneurs and business people, and let's say they get on video, it's kind of like the professor not you, but the professor going, get it right. Don't do that. And so we lock up. And so I'm thinking about what you're talking about as a phenomenal thing for people to do on video. So many of my people are on video. So many of my people need to be on video and they are not. And there are certainly plugins that I have given them from a subconscious psychology of the voice perspective and the sound they want to create. But that literal freeing the body is a huge part of it, but it's not going to come from relax. Damn it. I I love that. Uh, Yeah. I love, I love the angry relax while you're obviously trying to do that. And then he tends up because you're now scared of them. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a New York thing. I don't know, but. Oh no. I had my, I had my fair share of that. And did you have that too? Uh, absolutely yeah i love it too in in dance and all these other disciplines it's in every discipline right it's kind of like uh you know someone's getting ready for a performance it's no different for someone getting ready for a big speech you know is going to do a big keynote presentation or something like that you know you got someone on the side you got a coach you got a a parent you got you know whatever it always comes back to the parent or the brother the sister who you know when you were in high school or you're in middle school they were like you suck you know or like you're look at your dumb face why are you going on stage like this right and you have that one moment where this is my favorite. This is my favorite. Oh, I, I, I'm just, I'm just so nervous. Well, don't be. Oh, oh yeah. Why didn't I think oh. of that? Oh, thanks. I, did, I don't know why I didn't want to think of that. That's so helpful. Thank you. Thank you. That's my favorite. Yeah. And it's the same as relax. Yeah. Uh, we're like, what do you think I'm trying to do? I'm trying to relax, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, or just, just be confident. Michael, just yeah. be confident. Yeah. You know, you're like, why didn't I think of that the last 45 years of my life. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Just be profitable. It's, it's easy. Yeah. It's yeah. Easy. So yeah, I guess I when I talk about, you know, my people will know that I am anti-practice yeah. and it's not that I'm anti-practice. It's that I'm anti-practice the wrong thing. Yeah. Cause there's no benefit. I mean, there's no benefit to locking something else in and you know, that's, I think that's a big part of this is we got to find the system that works. Yeah. What, and, and it's got to, for my people, and maybe it's the same for your people, but I think it's a little different. I always use the story with my people, two biggest contracts of my career came when I turned a corner and somebody said, tell me about your work. That was not the moment to go, you know what, I'm going to need to warm up and practice and figure out what I'm going to say. I'm going to go do that right now. And then I'm going to come talk to you. We have, it's go time. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what you're doing in, in a different way is having them ready for go time, but it's a little different. I feel like, is it? Yeah. I think, I think being, uh, it's, it's this concept of warmups. I was actually just teaching this in a, in a class. And I think this will apply is that, I talk about how uh, a story of a of a of a girl and her grandmother, and uh, she goes with her grandmother, and she's learning how to bake a cake. And learn how to bake this cake. The grandmother's there. They've got some fun music playing on in the background, you know, some jazz music. And they go through, and she's like, "All right, so you're gonna grab this, you put the flour in, and then you're just gonna grab a pinch. You see this pinch just with your hand, and now you're gonna drop in a little bit of cacao in there. Now we're gonna here's some sugar, but you don't want to take too much sugar. Just grab a handful, and we're gonna put that in there, okay? Because this will just make it taste good. And now we're gonna add some butter, and then we're gonna mix it all together. We're gonna cook it 350 for for 45 minutes, whatever. So she makes a cake, and now move forward in the future. Uh, she knows how to make a cake." this chocolate cake specifically. And she goes and sees her friend. She's now in college, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, I, I can make great chocolate cake. My grandmother's chocolate cake. Let me do it. There she goes. She does it, grabs some flour, grabs just a pinch of the sugar, throws it in, takes a scoop of her hand with this, throws in it, gets the butter, cooks it, bam, great. So awesome. It's a great chocolate cake. And then one day someone asks her uh, to make bread. And she says, I don't know how to make bread. Well, 
but you can make a cake, right? You're a baker, right? Well, no, I, I can make, I know, I know how to make the chocolate cake. And the problem is, is, is that most singers specifically, I'll speak just to the singers. Many, many singers are what I would call recipe followers. Um, they're given a recipe to follow to quote warm up. They have no idea what it's for or what it does. Um, and usually the person who gave it to them also isn't clear on what that's for. They just know it. It's a quote, good thing to do. Right. So they do, it's like brushing your teeth. And so there's all kinds of people who brush their teeth every day, but they have a terrible hygiene. Um, <laughs> and so they, uh, they go. And what we learn very quickly is that that person didn't know what the butter was for. They didn't understand the sugar and the chemical reactions that occur with the flour, et cetera. They don't know why that's happening and why it's getting the flavors it's getting and how that could apply to this. Right. Um, and so this is the same thing that I find in the world of singing is that people are recipe followers rather than chefs. They don't really know what the ingredients are for and how to utilize them. And then there's master chefs, right? That's where you fall in, that you're a master chef. You, you know all the flavors, you know why, you can see, uh, you can make a dish based on a feeling, right? Uh, versus someone who's like, so wait, so do I put butter or do I put salt in this, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, because they don't know what the ingredients are for. And one of the things that I work really hard with and developed a whole system around was teaching singers how to um, uh, get ready for something. And mm. the amazing thing was, is I, I started doing some some just little research on this in my time at the university. And I did a test. These students hated me for this, but I, I was super uh, thankful to them. And I told them profusely, I said, here's the deal. Um, this weekend, we're going to meet up and you're going to audition for me and you're going to audition for me at 8 a.m. Now, mind you, these are college students. So they're like, 8 a.m., you know, and I said, 8 a.m. <laughs> and I said, do whatever you're going to do. I don't care, but do whatever you're going to do and show up ready to perform. Okay. So they did. And afterwards, we're going to talk about your warm up. They didn't know I was going to talk about this. And so what we found out, which was really cool, is that some of them got up at like three in the morning, went to the gym, steamed, did all this great stuff, right? All the things you quote should do. And then you had other students who came out and who literally, it was, it was, is it seven, seven thirty? I gotta get to, I gotta get to school and audition, right? And so they're tired. They show up, they get here, maybe like a, yeah, woo, hey, they holler a couple times and then they're ready to go and they sing. And as I'm talking about this, what people think I'm doing is people think I'm about to scold them for whatever they're doing. But all I'm doing is getting data. And the amazing thing was, is, is what I learned is that there were people who, it's so frustrated people. There was people who um, uh, worked really hard to get ready. It's like they got ready to get ready. They didn't really know how they were getting ready. It was kind of this magical thing where like hopefully it works and it's a little bit of uh what's that called uh, superstition uh all those sort of things right that you do like always make sure that you step out of the bed on the left side mm. because the last time you auditioned you step out of bed on the left side that's what made you a great mm. singer no right <laughs> that it. um but sure and so that's what people did and the funny thing was is that the people who almost did nothing were generally some of the best singers that we had they were excellent and they sang better than everyone else that morning too. The people who'd been warming up since 3 a.m., five hours before, eating nothing, warming up, all this stuff, missing out on sleep, they come in, uh, they were like, ugh, I was okay. And what a absolute punch to the gut, right? When, when you realize you're working so much harder than someone else. And the question is why? Why? How are they able to do that, right? Um, and I think one of the things in the world of singing that we've, we've, hid behind for a long time is vocal health, vocal health, vocal health, vocal health. Oh vocal yeah. Health. Is, I agree. Is, is, yeah. It, it's a great thing. Obviously mm -hmm. vocal health means, you know, you, it's kind of like a hygiene for your voice. You eat well, you exercise well, you sleep well, you hydrate. These are all common kind of vocal health things, but the, people believe that the vocal health itself is going to be the thing that's going to make them a great singer, mm -hmm. but it has nothing to do with being a great singer. It just has stuff to do with health for your body, right? Yeah. That's it. And so, uh, and so I think, I think in this case, what I started to realize is that I needed to teach people, I needed to first define what that was, and then I needed to be able to teach people what the pieces were. And so I came up with this thing called the, the one voice vocal workflow. And this vocal workflow breaks down the entire process from start to finish of how you begin something to how you end something and exactly what you do in each of those processes. But the important thing was, is it wasn't just exercises. 
wasn't a CD like I had. It wasn't asset because that isn't specific enough, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is what I mean by baking bread and, and, and baking a cake, but not knowing how to bake bread is that now all my clients, they use this vocal workflow and they understand that when they're getting ready, they understand the philosophies behind what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they know what the butter's for. They know why you use it and not to use it. Right. And so the first part, there's, there's a, a couple phases to it, but the first part's called uh, uh, the the startup, and the startup is all about relaxation, and that's what you serve. So whatever you have to do to relax, you do that, which is going to be different from every person, mm-hmm. and it's going to be different from day to day. You mm-hmm. might already be relaxed because you went in the hot tub, and now you've got a, a, a talk to do. Okay, great. You don't need to spend 30 minutes on doing some yoga practice and smelling incense and drinking mm-hmm. a tea. You know, If you need to, fine, but yeah, most people don't. And then... You can go and uh, your next phase, second most important phase is what I call the prep phase. And prep phase, the philosophy behind it, the goal is just to prepare for what you're about to do. That's it. Prepare for what you're about to do. It's not a time to improve. It's not a time to get better. It's a time to just turn on the engines and make sure they're running. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so once you've checked the engines, you're ready to go. And so here's mm-hmm. what's nutty. I went down from doing, and I, you know, I saw this all the time, as I'm sure you did. You would see people warm up forever. Oh, yeah. And they're about to go on stage, right? They're about to go on stage. They're about to go on the audition. And like, oh, just let me go to the bathroom real quick. You all know what I'm talking about. Those of you who do public speaking, you're dead keynotes or anything like that. You go out like, let me just go to the bathroom. Okay. <clears throat> Hi, my name is, <clears throat> right? And you go through this whole thing because you don't trust it. And you mm-hmm. don't know what you're going after. And so what you end up doing is you just keep checking, 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 checking. Mm-hmm. And so what people end up doing is end up pooping themselves out. Before they ever even get to the audition, before they get yeah. to the speech, before they get to the play, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so what's nutty about this is this whole philosophy changed it from being something that would take people 30, 45 minutes, an hour to do, to something that takes people five, seven minutes. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And it's yeah. because it's efficiency. They know why they're doing what they're doing and what mm-hmm. they need. Because one day, my uh, singer is going to be doing... Uh, an opera piece in musical theater. They'll be doing opera piece and a, and a rock piece back to back. Next mm-hmm. day, they're going to be singing something yeah. that's uh, jazz. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Take. no, I love it. And it's so in alignment with the way that I teach that is not in alignment with the way other people <laughs> <laughs> teach. No. So now I have a buddy in crazy. I, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I know I'm going to have to let you go here in a minute, but I want to go back. I have two quick questions and then I know I'll have to let you go. But, yeah. no, I may have three, but I just want to make this one comment. I would be fascinated to research what is happening in the subconscious in that moment of crack. Yeah. Very cool. Is there a through line? What happened in their life in that moment that there is a story linked? And it would have to be a consistent story, like how, yeah. how girls are always be quiet and don't disrupt. Or yeah. I think that would be the most fascinating study. I may have to do that because you'll, I mean, you'll enjoy if you look at in terms of coordinations, you'll notice that. So one of the things I did at the university is it was part of recruitment for the program. And we'd see students from all of, literally all of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things I noticed is that there's a lot of females from the northern Midwest, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Michigan. They tended to have really developed um, uh, lower coordinations. That mm-hmm. coordination, they, they, it was really well developed. And then I started listening more to a lot of females from Japan or Korea. Mm-hmm. Much higher. And they would, they would develop a much higher. They, they both had the same range. Yeah. That's what was nutty. But they would end up, if they were from Korea, they're from Japan, uh, they would end up developing a, a different coordination that was higher. And so they got used to that, right? Yeah. All because of social. Cultural. You know, yeah, totally cultural. Yeah. And then yeah. they locked it into the muscle memory. And we're yeah. going to draw from the top layer of muscle memory. And that's just who I am, but it's not. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Observed. Yeah. So fascinating. That's fun. I love that, Tracy. Do it. I think it would be fascinating. I'm about to I'm about to do a study starting next week on there's been several different studies done around what we process subconsciously when and mine mm. is specifically around rapport versus I know I like you versus I know I'm going to buy from you. Mm. And okay. tracking when do when is it rapport and then when is it yeah, I want what you have. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm Regardless testing. Regardless of whether yes. I know you or not. Yeah, yeah all strangers. I've, I've got uh, over 150 people coming in to listen to audios of strangers. And then I'm going to track second wise. When did you know you liked them or didn't? And then when did you know you wanted to build a relationship financially, you were interested in what they had to sell or serve kind of thing. Mm. So I think it'll be really interesting, but I think a lot of times we get locked up in trust and buy and all this stuff. And I think it really starts with connection and rapport. So I'm teasing out the two I've done studies on them before, but I don't want to tease out the two and just track the data and see, but that mm. would be really cool to do. Now, one other quick thing. There was something you said on your website. No, it may have been the TED Talk. Something about some kind of warm-up tactic that you were doing and you didn't... Maybe, maybe you've already talked about this, about where the professor was saying, well, will you just do it? Well, you're just not capable of doing it. But it was some some oh. strategy that you would practice. It reminded me of that, the way typical voice coaches teach, blow up the balloon in your stomach. And, and you gave this whole example, I think it was from the TED Talk, where you couldn't grasp it. It wasn't making sense to you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I wish I could get more specific, but the teacher would coach you something about, well, you've just got to rise up or something and you would try oh. to do it and, and you couldn't do it. And that to me was like yes. Yes. when a voice coach says, well, it's like blowing up a balloon in your stomach. Okay. I, I think I could crawl on busted glass for three hours easier than that. I don't understand <laughs> that. Do you know what I'm yes. talking about now? I do now. I do. Yes. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. This speaks to the imagery, imagery, vocal imagery, they call it. It's not yeah. a bad thing. It's just most of the time it is not used with a endpoint in mind. Uh, so it's really generically used and this is where it becomes a problem. Um, but it in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It just can become an issue. So like vocal imagery, people would say to me, well, Michael, because I was like, how do I sing hi? Yeah. And they'd say, well, you know, you have to make sure that uh, that you that you focus. Uh, that is, imagine, Michael, mm -hmm. an, uh, an egg in your throat and a beam coming through your left eye, right? That, that whole deal. You have a unicorn coming out of your skull, right? And you're like, oh, wow. So now you're trying to sing and you're trying to have an egg in your throat and have a unicorn horn coming out of your forehead and light coming through your left eye. Make, but don't forget, keep your feet rooted and support. Mm -hmm. So what, any, what does any of that even mean? Right? Like what does mm -hmm. any of it mean? And the beauty is that in most of the world of singing, if I were to say that in a master class right now, full of singers, I, you know, I would venture to say the same thing would be true with speakers. If I said that, people would be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and they'd be yes, writing it down totally, in their books. Totally. And it's like, what are you what are you writing down? You don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even yeah. know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. And it it it, it is a, I, I call it the disease of, of language uh, that has failed us. And it's because yeah. of how we see it, right? And so everyone just keeps going along because you don't want to be the stupid one. You don't want to be the one who doesn't know the answer. You don't want to be the one, right? And so what we do is we just keep going because obviously the person who's speaking, they're the expert. They know more than I do. Yeah. So yeah. I couldn't possibly question them because if this doesn't make sense, I'm the dumb one. Which is such a, it's another fear thing. It's another yeah. acting out of fear yeah. and not getting what you need. You know? Yeah. I don't believe there's fear of public speaking. My data shows me there's fear of looking stupid is the number one thing. It's not, yeah. I'm afraid to speak. I actually kind of like speaking in front of you, but I don't want to look stupid. And that's where the rubber hits the road, which is a, which is. is an interesting data point and very different. Okay. So you've got the, you're teaching the teachers how to do all of this. Do you, and I know you go workshopping. Yeah. Do you do you just work with regular people? <laughs> <laughs> you just work with regular people? Um, I my focus right now is working strictly with coaches um, okay. and training them to do yeah. to do this work. So they become what's called one voice certified coaches. Yeah. Um, and folks can find them on the website. They can also, yeah. if they're, if they're coaches out there who are like, I want to teach singing, yes. that's something I want to do. Um, they can go, <clears throat> they can go to the website, which is singonevoice.com, singonevoice.com. Um, they can go there and they can find everything. They find the private yeah. training. 
They can also get a, there's a free class there that I made and I've got oh, a new cool. one coming up. That's really exciting that I'm excited about um, that helps coaches out. And that's it. It's for yeah. free. Well, we're going to put that link in the show notes, everybody. I encourage you to go check that out. I'll put all the social media links in the show notes. And for those of you that sing, train singers, you, you don't jump, but go now. Do you do this year round or is it, yeah, ro- it rolling, rolling admissions? Rolling, rolling yeah. admission. Yeah. And awesome. As far as private training, that's for the, that's for the coaches. They can find all the certified coaches on the website yeah. as well. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Cool. Super cool. So, and good. Well, people. this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much wisdom with us. Such an honor and a joy. Thanks, Tracy. Really fun. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. We'll have to do yeah. we'll, we'll, I know that we could have many conversations. <laughs> Another nerd <laughs> session for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners. It's always great to have you with us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Captivate the Room with Tracy Goodwin. You can reach out to her at CaptivateTheRoom.com and be sure to grab the voice formula a free video series that will help you start making a bigger impact with your voice today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes.